Reading today is from Romans chapter 14, verse 1 to 15, verse 13. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak only eats vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does, not, does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother, or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to the Lord. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make your... Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, then you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but the man who has doubts is concerned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does, does not come from faith, is sin. Who, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult, you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help, uh, and then we'll, we'll start. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to look at your words to us. And we pray, Father, as we do, that you give us understanding. Help us, Father, to know what you're saying to us. And we pray that by Jesus' help, you may help us to live it out. In his name, amen. Well, tonight we're thinking about unity. Now, unity is probably one of those buzzwords, and we don't quite know what it means, but unity is something we all want. Uh, We can think of those moments where we've uh, been out with friends, and it's just been the perfect evening, and we felt like we've connected with one another, and we love that feeling of unity, don't we? Or maybe use your imagination a bit more. Maybe you've had that day with your family, and your brothers and sisters, you've just clicked, and you've just felt completely unified as a family. But as much as we desire that unity, we know it's really hard, don't we, to come by. It doesn't happen very often. As much as we want to be united as a family, our brother blows his nose in an annoying way, and so we just start to create friction. Or our sister flicks through the TV channels. You know who you are. uh, And it's a really annoying habit. And so we don't find unity that easy. Or perhaps we long for unity with our friends, but there's that friend who speaks behind our back or the person who posts unkind things uh, on their whatever book um, forum thing, Facebook, that's the one. So how is unity possible? Because Paul thinks unity is really important. In fact, he spends one and a half chapters of the book of Romans on this very subject of unity. He wants the church to be united, as we're going to see. He prays that we're united. But the question is, how do we get there when unity is so hard to come by? Well, Paul says three things here. It comes from accepting the guest list, secondly, being kind to the guests, And thirdly, looking to the host. See, first of all then, it's about accepting the guest list. Now, it's important that we understand what's going on in the church. This is a bit disconcerting, sorry. Let's move that out of the way. (laughs) Uh, It's a bit scary. Um, So, uh, it's really important we understand what's going on in the church in Rome. Uh, There are two groups in the church, what Paul calls the weak and the strong. And these two groups have developed little factions within the church. Now, when he talks about the weak and the strong, he's not talking about how much you can bench press. 
He's talking about people who are sensitive in what they can do or what they can't do. See, it seems that lots of Christians in the church had sensitive consciences when it came to certain practices. And Paul says that they're the weak ones. Now, um, just to help us get that, it it seems like there was this difference between the Jewish believers and the Gentile ones, the non-Jewish ones. Now, we struggle with that a bit because we don't really know what the big difference is. But a Jewish person spent their whole life eating completely different food. Uh, They wouldn't eat food which which was called unclean, food like pork, food like shellfish. And they would keep certain days of the week holy, like the Sabbath, and celebrate certain festivals. And you can imagine, can't you, growing up in that world? Every time you go to a party and a Domino's arrives, you pick out the pepperoni to make sure you don't eat pork. As you walk past the Isles in Sainsbury's with the, the, the pork sausages and the bacon, you walk straight past. You don't work on the Sabbath. You make sure your homework is done on Thursday night, so you have the Sabbath free to rest. It was everything to you. And the thing is, now they've become a Christian, well, they're free to, to, do, uh, to not follow those things. Jesus had fulfilled them all, but they didn't find it that easy. And so their consciences kicked in. But not only that, there's a divide in the church because the weak have started to condemn the strong. Now, let's pull it into the 21st century a bit. Imagine that actually you thought it was not a Christian thing to do to wear makeup, okay? But imagine someone walked into church with the max factor all over them or whatever it's called. Now, what would, what would you think as you saw that person? Well, you think they're just being a bit ungodly. They're being a bit irreligious. Uh, they're doing what they want. But then the person wearing the max factor looks at the person judging them and thinks, why are they judging me? They're being so legalistic. That's kind of what's happening in this church. But interestingly, Paul responds not by saying, build two churches, uh, not by saying, oh, come on, guys, pull yourself together. But he says in verse 1 that you're to accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, the word there is to welcome. It means um, not just to put up with as an annoying uh, uh, person, but actually to welcome into your house, like you're going to have someone over to play the Xbox. That's the kind of idea here. And Paul uh, points out that he does take a side in this debate, but actually he feels it's more important that you welcome those who are different to you. Now, we really struggle this, don't we, in the world, because we're so used to dividing over everything. Uh, We divide over football teams, we divide over politics, we divide over social media people we follow. We divide over everything. And we think that actually, uh, we, when, when we meet someone who disagrees with us, we're so tempted to disagree and outline that disagreement. But Paul says, actually, there's a bigger principle here, which is that we welcome those who are different to us. Now, why would we do that? Well, look at what he says in verse 4. He says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands and falls, and he will make him stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. He's saying, look, who are you to judge Jesus' selection? 
Now, imagine you went to a party. I know you're going to have to use your imaginations. Lots of us haven't been to a party for a good year and a half. Some of us, including me, haven't been for a good 10 years or so. But imagine you went to a party. And um, you go into the party, and it's one of those parties where you kind of get in that vibe that you don't quite fit. Uh, people are different to you. You're not sure um, why not. They're dressed differently. And you just feel their kind of glancing looks at you. You feel like you're being judged. But then the host of the party comes out and says, it's so great to see you. Welcome. I'm so glad you made it to this party. I, I, I was really hoping you would come. Well, imagine then how those people would feel as they're judging. Well, they'd feel a bit embarrassed, wouldn't they? And it's the same principle here. That person who's annoying in church, that person who's so different to you, who perhaps has got a different opinion, well, actually, Jesus has welcomed them. And so it's not for us to kind of pick apart the guest list on his behalf. But I guess some of us might think, yeah, but what if they're wrong? I mean, what if they're wrong on the makeup issue? Uh, What uh, do I do then? Well, secondly, Paul says, be kind to the guests. Be kind to the guests. Um, It's important to see this, that it's not here that Paul says anything goes. It's not that Paul has given up on kind of there being a truth or, or, or the gospel being a certain thing. In fact, he spent a whole 11 chapters speaking about what the gospel is and why it matters and why it can be believed. But here Paul is dealing with issues where Christians disagree. And interestingly, Paul gives his view on this whole debate. Have a look at verse 14 uh, with us. He says, as, uh, as one who is in the Lord Jesus... I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Now, you think to yourself, Paul, you're pouring fuel on the flames by telling us what you think. But Paul says there is a right answer here. You are free to eat anything. But actually, he says in verse 13, let us stop passing judgment. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. See, Paul says that actually the way we behave in church can act, oh, this is heavy, a bit like a stumbling block. All of us have done it. We've been walking down the road thinking, I look really cool, and then suddenly we hit a block like that and we go flying. And Paul says, actually, if you act a certain way in church, you can cause your brother or sister to stumble And that's much more serious than tripping over a stone. It is to to move away from the Lord Jesus and the gospel. Now, how might we do that? Well, Paul says that actually, uh, in verse 20, that uh, if we force our freedoms on others, that we might destroy others for the sake of our freedoms. uh, Let me give you an example. Imagine the church barbecue. The Jewish people there, the Gentiles are there, and having a great old barbecue in Rome. And the Jewish people, uh, the Gentile uh, uh, believers are set in the menu. And they think to themselves, well, it's great, isn't it? Jesus said we can eat anything. So let's have some prawns, let's have some pork. And in fact, we'll hold the barbecue on the Sabbath because it doesn't matter anymore. But imagine how the Jewish people then feel. Well, they probably feel pretty got at. But imagine then they force down one of the bacon butties and one of the sausages. And they know in their heads that it's okay, but actually, because they're so used to not doing this, 
it kind of goes against their conscience. Well, Paul says that actually that could be very dangerous because the next thing might actually matter. And if they're used to dulling their conscience over this issue, well, then actually there may be a more serious issue down the road. And so Paul says it's better to not use your freedom. In fact, it's better to just to have vegetables on the barbecue. Now, I know for some people we're screaming in horror, probably, thinking, that how can you have a barbecue with just vegetables? Uh, but Paul says, actually, it's better to do that. It's better to put aside your self-interest uh, if it means your brother doesn't stumble. See, I know this is really difficult for us because we're so wrapped up in this idea that we should be free to do what we want to do. We should be free to express ourselves, express what we think. But actually, that's not the way of the Christian, is it? We're free, of course we are, but free to serve. Uh, there's a friend of mine in uh, Uganda, uh, and I went to see them a few years ago. There's, they're a, a missionary couple over there. They're an English couple. Uh, and they've decided not to drink alcohol whatsoever. Not because they think alcohol's bad. Uh, they accept alcohol's a, 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 a good thing from God. But in Uganda, they don't really understand, they don't really have a category for alcohol being a social thing. It's kind of tied up with alcohol abuse and alcoholism. And so they've decided as a missionary couple not to drink at all. They decided to just, even when no one's looking, not to drink. And you think to yourself, why would you do that? But it's for the sake of their brothers and sisters. Not that alcohol's wrong, but actually they'd rather put that aside if it means someone wouldn't stumble. And there'd be issues like that in the church today. Uh, maybe you can ask me about them uh, in the Q&A afterwards. But imagine having a church where we're not pressing our own personal beliefs, but we're willing to look after everyone. Now, maybe we're thinking to ourselves, why on earth would I do that? Why wouldn't I use my freedom? Well, thirdly, we, Paul gets us to look at the host. See, why don't we use our freedom? Well, he reminds us of a very good reason why. Look at verse 3 of chapter 15. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the, res- the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. See, Jesus had the right to do what he liked. Uh, Jesus had the whole world at his disposal. Uh, Jesus had opinions on lots of things, lots of ways I guess he would have liked to have gone. But instead, he chose the path of the cross. He chose to put aside his interests for the sake of you and me. And Paul says, actually, it's very hard, isn't it, to debate about your right to have a pork chop when you think that Jesus has gone to the cross for you. And there'd be all sorts of opinions we have about the way we do church and other Christians, the type of music we have, uh, the way we put together church services, uh, what other Christians believe. And all those times we're tempted, aren't we, to say, well, I think this, I want this in church. But actually, Paul says, first of all, look at the cross, because there we see that the only reason we're part of these people, the only reason we're in Christ is because he has put aside his interests for the sake of his brothers and sisters. See, that unity we long for, it's so hard, isn't it, to come across in our families, in our friendship groups, in our world. But actually in the church, he says that because of the cross, it is now possible. Because the cross reminds us, none of us deserve to be at the party. 
and that we have a Savior who has been so kind to welcome us and so kind to the guests to bear with them even in their weakness. And it's as we look to the cross, we can bear with one another and, and, and love them despite our differences. Let's pray. I'm going to use Paul's prayer here in chapter 15. And so may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So the questions are flooding in, but we'll start with the most popular, which is what counts as a disposable matter? Are all non-gospel matters disposable? What if having the wrong opinion has severe consequences like abortion? Wow. Um, thank you for starting with the easy one again. Um, thank you for your questions. Uh, yes, I, I think this is the key question, isn't it? So in verse 1 of chapter 14, Paul talks about something called the disputable matters. Now, that doesn't mean everything's disputable. We're not free to dispute whether Jesus uh, is the only way to, uh, back to God. That, that's not a disputable matter. We're not free to dispute uh, whether Jesus is a real person. That's not a disputable matter. I mean, we may dispute it, but the Bible's clear on that. Um, so there are certain things that aren't disputable. Uh, but there are certain things that probably we can dispute over. So things like music. Um, I've met Christians who hate the fact there's drums in church. Sorry, um, down over there. Uh, but uh, yeah, for example. And I don't think the Bible tells us either way whether we can have drums or not. Maybe you want to correct me afterwards. So there's a bit of a spectrum between those things that are non-negotiable and those things that are kind of disputable. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> How do you... What counts as a disposable matter? Are all non-gospel matters disposable? Yes. So um, I think what we get here in Romans is people not doing what the Bible says they're, they're free to do. Okay? So they're, they're not using the full extent of their freedom. That's different to saying um, that people can go against what the Bible says they can't do. So um, that's a bit confusing. Let me try again. But um, so the Bible is very clear on lots of different things, the way we uh, live our lives, uh, the way we carry out our um, sexual, uh, sexuality, the way we work, the way we uh, love our families. That's all. The Bible is very clear on those things. It's not for us to kind of go, actually, I'd rather do something else. But actually, there are certain issues like music, like makeup, I think, where the Bible is less clear. And I think in those areas, there is room for people to hold different views and to be church together. Something like abortion, I think, would fall into the category of the Bible being clear on that uh, around the sanctity of life, but I realize that's such a, a sensitive topic that I, I won't go into that now, but please do either speak to me or speak to Sarah or Julie uh, about that. Uh, freedom is interesting, isn't it subjective? Some churches have very different views on what is sinful and what isn't. How do we discern what is okay and what isn't? Yeah, yeah, really helpful. So, yes, we need to listen to the right person, and the right person is Jesus himself, and he's given us his words in the Scriptures. Uh, now, that doesn't mean we can kind of take what we want from the Bible. We've got to use it with our common sense to try and understand it. But 
churches really shouldn't be putting on extra rules or extra burdens on top of the Bible. Uh, and if they are, we need to be questioning why they do. Now, that doesn't mean churches don't have certain ways of doing things. We meet at six o'clock. That's not a rule in the Bible, but we just do that for convenience. But it's the moment we insist on stuff that isn't in the Bible that the problems come. So I think we do want to listen to why things are done in a certain way, but ultimately we want to be coming back to the Scriptures and be thinking, is that what God is telling us to do or not to do? Uh, Next one, what about people who use the Bible and Christianity to push negative agendas? Um, Yes, I think it's a similar answer in that First of all, we've got to be careful what we mean by negative agenda because we might, you know, someone might have listened to what I've said tonight and think it's a negative agenda. So we've got to re- just at first ask the question, is it a negative agenda? Um, and I would say it's not. It's, it's a great thing what Paul's setting out here, but it's hard to hear. Um, but having said that, if someone's pushing a negative agenda, I think we've got to then ask, is this what the Scriptures teach? It's all back to the Scriptures. Uh, does God insist on this? Does he not? and to listen humbly uh, to what God's got to say in his word. Now, I think we can get help with that. We can ask youth leaders, uh, leaders, uh, people through church history, uh, but ultimately it's, uh, it's God who's in charge, and God's ways are the best. Another interesting one. Uh, this feels like the Bible telling us to agree to disagree. Do we not become silently divided without challenging these issues and working together to find common ground? Great question. Yeah, really helpful, because I didn't get a chance to go to this in a sermon. But yeah, it's not we agree to disagree, okay? Um, Why not? Because um, chapter 14, verse 5, Paul said that each one should be fully convinced in their own mind. So it's not that we go, well, there's no kind of right way here. Um, He says, actually, no, you do need to think about it. You do need to think carefully about it. Um, And in verse 14 of chapter 14, Uh, He says, as one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced, that same word again, that no food is unclean in itself. So Paul's saying, look, I'm convinced of this case. I'm convinced of the true way. uh, But he's gentle with those whose kind of hearts haven't quite caught up with the truth. So no, it's not saying we all need to kind of shut up and kind of just get on with our own thing. There is a place for discussing these things. Um, So for example, an issue like whether we baptize children, uh, people would have different views of in our church congregation. Um, I'm convinced that it's okay to do that. Some might not be. Um, and it's okay to have a discussion about that. But if that leads to quarreling and disunity, well, then Paul says we've gone too far. So, yes, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, and final one. Are we not told to... Sorry, it's just gone. Uh, are we not told to instruct and guide our younger brothers and sisters... Surely if they are not being a godly example, we should say something, swearing or not dressing modestly, for example. Yeah, really helpful. So remember what I said at the beginning. It's not, this is not giving us carte blanche to, to do something the Bible tells us not to do. So the Bible does talk about dressing modestly for men and women. Um, the Bible does talk about how we use our words. So it's not saying that actually if someone's sinning, we've got no right to sort of say anything. Um, we can absolutely do that. It's talking about things that are less clear-cut than that, um, where we might be picky. So, yeah, if, um, if it's kind of someone's swearing, yeah, I think by all means um, we have a chat with them. If it's that they've kind of worn um, bright yellow trainers to church, um, for example, 
Uh, I don't think that's something that we particularly need to get hung up on, for example, but you may yeah. quibble with Very that. Very helpful. <laughs> Thank you.